0: Welcome to Far Out with Faust. I'm Faust Ticho, and today I'm sitting here with two very special guests who I'm thrilled to have on for you guys Alex Colby and Ted Wallach. Um, now, I know there are several books, documentaries, and TV shows, and works from HBO and Netflix um, about the meteoric rise and fall of the $47 billion company WeWork, which I'm sure you've heard of. Um, both of these guys were very involved in the company from early on, and they used to be close with CEO Adam Newman and his wife Rebecca, who are now very famous. Um, and well, for people who aren't familiar with this story, guys, could you uh, could you tell us a little bit about WeWork and your early roles in the company, just to familiarize you know everyone who isn't in the know per se.
1: Sure, Alex, you want to start, or shall I? You <laughs> start. Okay. um, (laughs) Let's see. Well, when I got to WeWork, there were three buildings and it was a new concept called co-working Mm -hmm. um, where I think everybody knows what that means now. Right. Or do we need to get into what that
0: means? I think everybody knows what that means. Okay, So
1: office spaces and, that sort of thing. And then some kind of social interaction. Um, And uh, Adam asked me to be the creative director. And um, I didn't know exactly what that meant at the time, as I had been making movies and uh, didn't know anything about advertising, nor did they need advertising because they were really the only players in the space. Nobody even heard of the space. Mm -hmm. And um, then it began to grow and we moved from building to building and uh, started doing more and more different things and trying to put a uh, different kind of... It, my team was trying to put different kind of uh, videos and uh, parties and uh, activations. And then we started to work with charities and things like that and just sort of played with the idea of this place is the world's first physical social network and um that you know what would facebook look like if it lived on the ground and right. uh
0: and that how the, the world's you, first physical network that became the the branding and kind of the core and the heart of we work that would you say that's accurate
1: i wouldn't call it the branding I would call it the, the, I mean, I remember I threw a party for, uh, we work at the box and, uh, Adam and I were on stage talking to not a very large group of people at that point. And he was saying, you know, now we're the world's first physical social network. And and so it was more like a rallying cry maybe than, than, uh, than a, than a, mm. than a brand, um because branding wasn't really something we talked very much about because basically there was we work the the way it looked and the the actual like uh uh logo and that logo was Mm -hmm. the brand and uh miguel had created that a while back and that's what it was and yeah
0: alex you want to tell us a little bit about your role
2: sure um I was new to New York City and had met, someone had introduced me to Ted. Ted's also a magician and he caught his wallet on fire. And I was like, this guy's dope. (laughs) I'm going to do what this guy does. And so basically I paired up with him. We started working on these like interesting, crazy projects. And then he told me there's going to be a day where we're embedded and into a new company and become their creative unit. And he just manifested that. And so my first introduction to WeWork was that box party that Ted had just spoken about. And I was doing their, like, a promo video for that. Um, That night, I came home and I edited it that night and then sent it to them in the morning. And they were like, who the heck is this guy? I can't believe he did it this fast. And then basically, in, like, maybe a month, had just like just come into the office and like let's do this and it just started from there um and yeah there was only three buildings um I got a title pretty late in the game they didn't really know what to call me um but I was called director of multimedia
0: for people watching we're going to be showing a few of his videos I imagine um Yeah, yeah a little later in the podcast but yeah extraordinary talent
2: thanks so much I um yeah it's it was a very unique space because they gave me the freedom to basically film whatever I wanted and make whatever I wanted, and then Ted was throwing out ideas, and then I would just create these ideas and make them real. Um, and we were pretty we shook we work up. Um, so you, you
0: guys were basically like some of the first employees on the ground who were making some of the bigger creative decisions. Where,
2: uh, yeah, what do you there, Yeah. There wasn't a creative directing team. There was like well right.
1: let, let me let me speak to that because it was actually an interesting oh. day uh okay. when um uh we had gotten our business cards and uh, sure. uh I hadn't met uh, uh Devin at that point who was um he he was the person who worked under Miguel and is and and did all the design for the entire for all the buildings and all that kind of stuff. That was his um, and his business card also said creative director and we were already kind of, you know, like, who's this guy and why is he taking up this space? And he was feeling this way about me. And I was kind of growing this team larger and larger. And he was like, well, what are they doing over there? Like, this is like, what, you know, and, and so, uh, uh, we walked up and I was like, uh, I guess we have the same business card. And so the reason for that is, uh, and I think maybe that, that sort of speaks to some of the, the later confusion is that like, well, a creative director could be the person who is responsible for the look of the product who creates, you know, directs the creativity of the product itself, mm-hmm. the buildings, how they look, how they feel, all that kind of stuff. And that was Devin. Um, and uh, and then the other creative director, me, is responsible for well, God knows what, but to make all kinds of crazy shit and just put it out into the world and and you know make it awesome. And that was sort of there really wow. was no mandate. It was just sort of like make stuff. Yeah. And then like you know I don't know one day uh, Madonna's boyfriend comes by and and is like looking at the at the screen and. And Adam's like, you know, that's Ron's boyfriend. Yeah. And we're like, okay, we'll show him some cool shit. So we just showed him some cool shit and he got excited. And that was, Show something quick.
0: So where yeah, was yeah, where so. was this happening? Like, what, 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 were the, what were the first buildings that you guys were, were working at?
2: It was at 175 Varick.
0: Oh, around Georgia. Varick, huh?
2: Yeah. And that um, that became our hub. And it's so interesting, Ted, to hear you talk about, like, your dynamics with Devin about a business card. Like, I was so oblivious to all of this happening. This was literally my first job in New York and I had no idea what corporate structure is or anything like that. And I was like, sweet, I get to just run around with the camera and do what I like to do. It's awesome. And I was completely oblivious of any of the politics around what this is, which then bit me in the ass because I had no idea how to stick up for myself or anything. And it was, um, but it, it literally became my home. Like when I walked into WeWork, it felt great. Like it's constant activity, young people, all these people doing cool things. And I'm running into a person at a coffee, but getting coffee, we start talking about like how to change the world. And it just became these like hubs of inspiration that um, i like, I didn't, I'd never thought could exist outside of college. Like, it yeah. felt like i was part of a community
0: well you were i i mean yeah <clears throat> it sure sounds like you were you know um at least at the start you know a lot a lot of high people were brought in and uh, while the communities were merging and you know projects were being born but they the, you know they weren't making mo- any money off their 250 dollars membership walk me through that first meeting you had with adam newman and what were your impressions with him um when you first started working with him
1: well me i mean i i met him on on the film shoot that uh i was supporting the director who was working well hunter who was working with uh uh rebecca um he asked me to just help him out with the film and was happy to do it um hunter's been a amazing teacher and i wanted to be useful um and uh uh, and then one day Rebecca was like, you must meet my husband. i are like, okay. So that was Adam. And, uh, you know, he had all this like energy and, you know, he was very excited, but he was very determined and it was not entirely clear what he was talking about, but it, it, you know, it was interesting. Um, and, uh, uh, and then I don't know, I guess we kind of hung out a bit and then started to get to know each other. And then at, at one point he was like, you know, you should be involved in what we're doing. And I was like, okay, what do I do? And he's like, I don't know. And, I was like, well, maybe, you know, I was like, I don't really understand what co-working is, but maybe what I could do is I could, cause I'm, I'm kind of good at networking and like, mm. you know, meeting people and introducing people to each other and stuff like that. So maybe I could like start meeting people and then sort of connect them to each other. Cause if co-working is about working together, then you, you know, and you've got these buildings filled with people, like maybe I'll introduce that guy to that guy and get them to make something together and right. stuff like that. And and he was like, that might work. That, that could be interesting. But then that didn't quite land. And so we sort of kept talking and,
0: uh, but you and did then, end up uh, doing a lot of that though. I mean, from what I understand,
1: uh, not so much that, no, I mean, really what we ended up doing a lot of was, uh, was like following around companies that were really interesting and like making videos about them or telling their story that, you know, that, that they were there and that's what they were doing. And that's, um, was more like more of that kind of stuff and then trying to do more activations and things that different ways of uh, like at one point what do
0: you mean when you say activations
1: like at one point uh uh we got into the idea that like uh we if it spins is me Mm -hmm. and so i was like well what are you doing for that so they were about to go uh to la and they were going to have a big sign. And I was like, well, what if we did like a moving sign? Like what if we made it more interesting? And he was like, okay, what would that look like? And I was like, I don't know. Let's get a structural engineer and see what happens. So I got like a 3d structural engineer to come in and like work with me. And we started to like build it out and it would be like a me, we thing spinning on top of the, um, but that never went anywhere. Uh, cause that started to like, that's where like my creative started to like lean into the creative of, of the, like the building creative. And that was when things got like, at one point I walked over to uh, Miguel, who's, who's Adam's uh, partner and, and sort of in charge of the creative. And I was like, um, we don't really have a logo. We just have like, you know, the word and like, what about this? <laughs> I showed him something. And, uh, cause I was just drawing on a napkin and, uh, and he was like, Oh, whoa, 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 wait, we got to, we can't take yeah. you guys and we're, and then it got complicated cause it's like, who's in charge of that? You know, it's like, well, we don't want to take that away from Devin. And you know, you can't start having that conversation yet and we're still just bootstrapping. So we don't want to make any mm-hmm. you know decisions yet. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so at one point we were like, okay, so what should we do next? And, and, uh, uh, Hunter, who had you know introduced me to Rebecca and Adam in the first place, was like, well, we got to end oil subsidies in America and we got to do it for WeWork. And I was like, great, let's do it. And so we started doing a campaign to end oil subsidies in America, and we started creating a whole video, and we started doing – Uh, like trying to raise money to pay for the video and then all kinds of other things and a website and blah, blah, blah. And I think at that point we started to get a little off the topic of like what WeWork is because it's like, what do they have to do with ending oil subsidies? But at that point I had moved my office up to a different place where I wasn't so close to all the action and therefore I could kind of do whatever I wanted and got a bunch of people and started putting together a team. And we had a whole bunch of kids like covered in oil shooting against a green screen. And one of the, uh, 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 conference rooms. And, um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. And, uh, I made the mistake of not including, uh, Rebecca Adams wife who wanted to be involved creatively. And I, uh, sort of was like, didn't let her and that wasn't very nice. Um, and, uh, uh, that was not a good thing to do. You do not want to piss off the CEO's wife. Um, but I sort of felt like, well, if she, I mean, what does she have to do with the creative team? And, um, that was one activation. Another activation. Uh, I was asked to um, ke- to create a campaign with Charity Water, um, mm. and they said, "Well, what if we were to uh, uh, raise money um, by going to each floor of our building and asking everybody for uh, for money, and then we'll we'll have each floor compete against each other, and we'll see who raises the most money." And I was like, "Ah, didn't we just ask these people to quit their?" real corporate job and come do what they love and try to like make something i'm like do we really want to ask them for money can we come up with something better um and so i was like how about we do this how about like alex is here alex shoots beautifully these people are already talking about how how excited they are about the about the uh companies that they have let's get them into a conference room let's get adam to let's get adam let's get alex to shoot it And we'll take those videos and we'll sell it to American Express because Amex Open wanted all this content. And then we'll get Amex to pay for the wells in Africa. And so we did that with Charity Water, which was awesome. Um, And when uh, Adam got home, he heard what I was up to. Uh, At that point, I was working for Miguel directly um, because at one point, Adam sort of was like, I don't know what you do, Ted, and I don't really know how to manage you. I know you're doing something creative and interesting, so keep doing it, but, like, I think Miguel has to be in charge of it because I don't really understand what you do. I was like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. So uh, I don't really know what I do either, so that that makes sense. Um, and uh, uh, Miguel was off in South Korea doing something, I'm not sure, something in a helicopter, and ball, I don't remember. It was something complicated. But uh, uh, And then Adam had just finished um, – uh, in, he, I guess he had just been in Israel, probably meeting with V.C., and he came home, and uh, at that point, I had finished the Charity Water thing, and then I had a whole bunch of other cool shit set up with uh, um, Falling Whistles, this, this uh, uh, social uh, group in, in Africa, and uh, HP, and Microsoft, and Hunts Point Alliance for Children. I was, like, putting brands and social causes together on behalf of, uh, uh, on behalf of WeWork. And, um, I brought Adam in and I had a whole room set up to show all the different activations we could do. And he kind of looked at me and was like, uh, I don't know what you're doing. And I was like, uh, well, I thought it would be cool to kind of like, you know, bring brands and causes together because we care about like social action and doing good in the world and this sort of thing. And, and he was like, um, well, uh, what's the ROI on that? And I was, and I didn't know what ROI meant. Cause I was a filmmaker and that's not a good thing when you're talking to a CEO who's just <laughs> left the BC. Really? But, uh, he was like, well, what's like, you know, like, he's like, you know, we sell like square footage, right? He's like, like, and for the first time in my life, I realized this is a real estate company. And I had just no fucking clue yeah. about that. Like that didn't, that didn't even dawn on me. Like this is a company that rents real estate. Like that's yeah. what they do but that didn't feel at all like what was going on when because we were there. Because that's it,
0: not what was going on. I think that was that's not what that I was, going was going on at we all, there. you know?
1: <laughs> no, wow. we were doing all kinds of crazy shit. And it was, it was a lot of fun. And uh, it was like, you know, we were going to change the world because we were going to change the way people work. We were going to change the way people come to work. We were going to change the way people interact with each other. We were going to create a currency. Like I was working with, with like experts on like currency. Disney dollars,
0: but we v- dollars well,
1: Yeah. <laughs> Really, like we were, I was talking with people who were experts on alternative currency so we could come up with a currency that would be specifically for WeWork and that would help generate more interaction between people because I always felt like co working should be about working together. And the more glass walls we put up, the less working together. And there was a lot of like drinking together and like partying together. And that's nice, but it's not really working together. So I thought, you know.
0: Yeah. Maybe that would be that, cool. We're going to get into that too. There was a lot of uh, yeah. social events and partying that, that went on that kind of began to define uh, we work uh, in a lot of ways. Um, we're going to get into that, but you know, I, I want to hear, um, I want to hear from Alex. Uh, and, and
2: yeah, I can. What do you want to hear? <laughs> well, <laughs> so, I, so- I, I
0: mean, you know, you you were really instrumental in in some of the more mind blowing and successful campaigns that WeWork put forth. And um, as as an editor and as someone who really kind of understood this vision, which wasn't exactly what was a, a, what WeWork was, but <laughs> that was what they were they were selling. Um, and you know, I think I think everyone really bought into it. It's and it sound like it's such a contagious community you know that to be a part of something that is spreading these ideas um, yeah and it, it, you know I, i've watched some of your videos they were like you can see why they were closing million dollar deals you know i mean they were the great videos so you know i guess i just wanted to get into a little bit about um the, you know the it just amazes me that Adam was able to attract such a wide array of creative talent, you know, um, like these heart centered people who came from <laughs> filmmaking and all the different, you know, arts and cause they believed in his vision. And, um, you know, at, like what, at what point did you start to realize things weren't what they seemed?
2: Yeah. So, they, we were got me as a heart-centered individual that I am because of Ted. So mm. Ted brought me in and I was like, sweet, I get to work with Ted. <laughs> and then Ted would create all of these, as you heard, he'd have all these ideas of how to make this into something bigger than a real estate company. And I was the guys like, cool, let me make that. Mm. And then I would make, I would like pull from YouTube videos, make something, a video, and then it would make it real. And then Adam was like, sweet, now I know what that is. But because they were such big ideas, it was really hard to execute with the zero budgets that we had. Mm -hmm. And so what happened is that Ted was the big idea guy. I was the executor guy. Everyone then started whispering in my ear, why do you need Ted? Why Mm -hmm. do you need Ted? And then that it was weird. Cause like it built me up. I felt really, I was very manipulated in the fact of just like, cool. Like I can do this. I don't need Ted. And then that was, that was a very easy for them to then, Oh, Alex can exist on his own. Let's not use Ted. Mm. When Ted left, there goes my safety net. Mm. There goes my other heart centered person. Now I'm part of this. We work. And the thing with it is like I got super. Then I got to be very super connected with people like Miguel and Adam, and kind of be in the driver's seat mm-hmm. around how this visual brand is shown. Yeah, and a lot of it was coming from how I was experiencing it because with a camera, mm. it's like literally how you see the world. I'm a very joyful. I was very. I am very joyful. I'm mm-hmm. very like. I love meeting new people. And so the feeling of the videos were that. I would go around, I would meet all the people. And the thing is, is like, when you start making videos that showcase events that are really great, that equals tickets, that Mm -hmm. equals new renting spaces. They make you feel, it makes you feel happy and joyful. Oh, sweet, this is what WeWork is. Mm -hmm. Boom, I wanna get a desk. Then with, with buildings and things like that, like I made videos for building managers
1: Mm-hmm.
2: to make them feel good to show them to then feel happy when they're in the meeting because there's a video about them. <laughs> so I would like target it to them by like writing their name or something along those lines mm-hmm. that then made them feel special. And then they would be like, sweet, I want to be part of this for and pay half what I would normally get. Right. And then it got even crazier when I started, I literally started filming videos for, big real estate companies like Forest City Ratner. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was there like kind of side guy. And I would go, f- they would say, Alex could go film that. And <clears throat> then Forest City Ratner was like, whoa, WeWork gave us this guy to film our videos. That was so kind of him because I, was, <laughs> I wasn't I was Alex, I was WeWork. Yeah. I would come in, make everyone happy, make them this video that literally the one video I remember, what, the video won the Cornell, um, dude. I was part of insane real estate projects: the Cornell Island Project Campus, mm-hmm. the Lower East Side um, Seward Park. Like, I made co- specialized videos for all of them mm-hmm. to win those bids. Wow! This was all under and how much?
0: How much? What was the value of some of those bids dude, for people who don't know?
2: Twenty-two million dollars, like.
0: Twenty-two million dollars. The other
2: one was like, it's was like thirty oh, million, right? I mean, it was just like huge, crazy, big real estate get like yeah buys that no one else would have a heart-centered video to show at their pitch. Mm. The thing about it is, like, I still didn't know what I was doing. Still, my first job. Mm-hmm. Don't don't have the heart-centered TED anymore, and I'm just like, sweet. I'm still part of it. This makes me feel happy. But then when I literally could only afford dollar bagels because I was making 60 grand a year and paying rent in New York City, then I was like, oh, wait a second. This isn't, I'm looking at other people and they're living very differently. Like, why am I struggling this much? And that's when I started getting like this like darkness in it. And I remember they built an entire floor called the film floor that I was supposed to run. So there was only gonna be film projects. Rebecca and Bonnie were gonna run this. Right. And I remember going there and I was so scared, first of all, cause I was poor. Secondly, cause like, I didn't know how to <laughs> run a floor. Mm-hmm. And I remember I would literally go in, they have two editing booths and they had sound, it was all soundproof. And I remember I could go in and I could lock it. Wow. And I remember going in there because that made me feel safe. <laughs> And I just started locking myself, and then people were like, "What the fuck's Alex
0: doing?" Dude. Oh, Man, I've I've worked in corporate America, and executive <laughs> yeah. sales, and I and I and I've I've done a thing. I mean, I, I I've, I've literally like locked myself in a bathroom, hiding <laughs> on top of the stuff because it was a it, I was a salesman, and it was a power line, and I was I did really well, and so when you're on top of the line, they just keep sending you out and sending you out, and I would literally hide from this redheaded secretary who, you know, I would be closing a deal and they would pull me off the deal. You know, it's a $35,000 deal that you made in an hour and yeah. they'd pull me off the deal and put me back on the line. And, you know, it's exhausting. It's like, you know, I'm an actor. It's like doing the crucible for two hours and then being pulled off and being like, okay, you're up to it again. You know? And I'm like, I used to hide, man. And I, I hated it.
2: <laughs> yeah. And I also just didn't have this, this, the skill set or tools to protect myself because there was no separation between personal and business Mm. this was all my life and so like when i started feeling when i felt like being cheated or like things kind of opened up to see the reality of what was actually going on which was this is just a real estate company and oh my gosh now they don't care about the the entrepreneurs they're literally bringing IBM in to rent the top six floors.
0: Can Can you tell me a little bit about the company retreats, which are also now famous? <laughs> some of the uh, some of the some of the retreats are very uh, yeah, are being written had, about. And, and they've are...
2: they've had a ton. The the biggest one was Summer Camp, and that was the one that um, it was put on. Were you still there, Ted, when summer camp happened? Yeah, you came that was right before I got fired. It got was it. like warming okay. me up to get fired. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so they had, exactly. they had tequila on tap, right? I mean they had kegs on tap, they had tequila on tap. These were like some some epic parties, right?
2: Yeah, but the first one was like super great. Like there wasn't it was there was keg there was kegs and stuff like that, but it was like super low key like it, it it was it felt like a family kind of event like they they rented out a Jewish summer camp of um, one of the CTOs or something like that, and it was very like camp and warm and fun and like and then the following years it just got crazier and crazier and like just started elevating to the extent where like and now the chain smokers are on stage and I'm like, Jesus. how much the fuck did you pay these guys' And then the next act was the weekend, and he came in on a helicopter.
0: Oh my god, man! Yeah,
2: like that's and I, I would just run around with a camera, film my experience of what how I was experiencing it, and so that everyone saw. Okay, cool. This could be my experience too. Yeah,
0: but just, just for context, um, <laughs> you know, for for our listeners, in two thousand seventeen. WeWork lost $883 million, despite having an $886 million revenue. Okay? In 2018, they managed to lose $1.9 billion on about $1.8 billion of revenue. So, uh, And that's according to the Financial Times. And it's just, you're getting a little idea of how this company became so large and still was finding ways to lose money you know i mean and you're getting a little glimpse of that with some of the stories ted and alex are sharing <laughs> with us
1: you know though i i i think that uh if you look at amazon for example they lost money for a very long time and then eventually started making money and i think absolutely we were could have done the same thing if they actually were specific about what the product was yeah but when the product started to seem like a tech product, yeah and therefore have an exponential possibility behind it, that's not true. There are buildings it's not a tech product that's where things started to go terribly wrong
0: and and the the all the mark i mean the marketing you i don't know if you could call it marketing because yeah you could you have to call it marketing you know I mean the campaigns that you guys did were awesome. And, and, you know, you would think that you had this, you know, like the impression that I got was like, you know, this thing was going to be, it was going to be huge. And it, and it became huge, you know, Um, you
1: know, I think at the time, like we were starting to realize that Facebook is actually anti-social media and it's actually pulling people apart. And, you know, we started to get some of the science back that, like, actually, the more time you spend on Facebook, the more depressed and anxious you feel. This was long before we even realized. Yeah, yeah, this is (laughs) long before we realized all the nasty shit we know now. But, like, basically, they're weaponizing gossip. And uh, work seemed like not that. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, one of the lines I wrote for them was, sometimes you got to be in the room. It's like, well, if we're in the room with real people, that something real will happen. It right. could be wonderful, like really special and amazing because it's not some bullshit in the cloud. It's like, we're here in real time and real people. And that seemed like something really powerful and wonderful.
2: Like that's, and I I would just run around with a camera, film my experience of what, how I was experiencing it. And so that everyone saw, okay, cool. This could be my experience too. Yeah.
0: But just, just for context, um, <laughs> you know, for, for our listeners. In 2017, WeWork lost $883 million despite having an $886 million revenue. Okay? In 2018, they managed to lose $1.9 billion on about $1.8 billion of revenue. So, uh, And that's according to the Financial Times. And it's just, you're getting a little idea of how this company became so large and still was finding ways to lose money, you know, I mean, and you're getting a little glimpse of that with some of the stories, Ted and Alex are sharing <laughs> with us.
1: You know, though, I, I, I think that, uh, if you look at Amazon, for example, they lost money for a very long time and then eventually started making money. And I think absolutely we were, could have done the same thing if they actually were specific about what the product was. Yeah. But, when the product started to seem like a tech product, yeah and therefore have an exponential possibility behind it, that's not true. There are buildings it's not a tech product that's where things started to go terribly wrong
0: and and the the all the mark i mean the marketing you I don't know if you could call it marketing because yeah you could you have to call it marketing you know I mean the campaigns that you guys did were awesome. And, and, you know, you would think that you had this, you know, like the impression that I got was like, you know, this thing was going to be, it was going to be huge. And it, and it became huge, you know? Um,
1: You know, I think at the time, like we were starting to realize that Facebook is actually anti-social media. And it's actually pulling people apart. And, you know, we started to get some of the science back that, like, actually, the more time you spend on Facebook, the more depressed and anxious you feel. This is Angry, long before we even realized. Yeah, yeah this is <laughs> long before we realized all the nasty shit we know now. But, like, basically, they're weaponizing gossip. And rework uh, seemed like not that. Like, mm-hmm. you know, one of the lines I wrote for them was sometimes you got to be in the room. It's like, well, if we're in the room with real people, that something real will happen. It could be wonderful, like really special and amazing because it's not some bullshit in the cloud. It's like, we're here in real time and real people. And that seemed like something really powerful and wonderful.
0: Yeah, yeah. And so how did you get fired, Ted?
1: Um, Well, I got fired um, because, well, I mean, partly I got fired, I think, because I pissed off Rebecca, Mm. which was stupid. And my fault. I mean, people, what I didn't know yet is that people support what they help create. Mm-hmm. What I thought was people support the smartest guy in the room with the best idea. That's not true. People support what they help create. I didn't know that. So I didn't allow Rebecca to be a part of uh, the, the creative campaigns that we were running. I kept pushing her out uh, and she kept wanting to be involved. And that's not a good idea. Nobody said anything about that later. That did. That wasn't the reason I got fired, but right. I'm sure that didn't help. So then the reason I got fired was because I did the charity water thing that we talked about before, where we, mm-hmm. uh, we basically got wells built in Africa because people were coming in and talking about what they love. Like to me, that was fucking awesome. And uh, right. that's when Adam was like, I don't know what the fuck you're doing. Like, this is not... This is not, we are, we're, we're, we're where's the ROI? What, what are you doing? Yeah. You well, know, Ted I was like.
2: Yeah. I God. remember you brought in yellow, yellow charity water canisters and started yeah. building sculptures in all the WeWorks and everyone's like, what the <laughs> fuck is going yeah. on? <laughs> That's right. I was like, look, if we're going to do something with Charity
1: Water, let's do something with Charity Water. So, yeah, I built big sculptures. I put on that, you know, and I got I, I, I made a deal with American Express so that they'd pay a thousand dollars a video. Uh, and we we're like, let's fucking do this. Let's see what what's possible. And then he was like, yeah, what's what's the ROI? And, and then square footage. And, and then he was like, why would you give all of those videos away to American Express for free? And I was like. What, what do you uh, mean for free? They, they, they paid for it to build the wells in Africa. And he's like, yeah, but that money didn't come back to us. And I was like, no, no, it went to charity water to build the wells in Africa. And he was like, yeah, yeah but how does that help us? And I was like, I, how does that not help us? Like, huh? yeah. I don't understand. Like, it's amazing. Like people come in, they talk about what you want them talking about anyway, which is their new business. And then like, because yeah. they're talking about it in front of Alex with his camera, wells get built in Africa. That's fucking awesome. Uh, And he was like, this is the right place for you anymore. I think maybe we need to. Yeah, that was kind of the end of that. And then I went into a Uh, long, deep depression.
0: (laughs) Alex, can you can you talk about your perspective of that campaign and Ted's, um, you know, the end of Ted's kind of career? Yeah, so basically it
2: was like he upset Rebecca. um, Then so Rebecca's whispering in Adam's ear when they go to bed, fire this guy. Then he comes in. It's like winter. He comes in carrying. He's brought in three assistants. Comes in carrying like all of these yellow, huge, twenty-gallon water jugs, and just starts building shit, causing like, like um, by the elevator door, people couldn't get in. Like it was just like he he just created chaos in his ideas, but he didn't know really how to fully execute them, but he wanted to hold on to this idea of being the one that like got him out of the trouble with Rebecca hmm. is my take. It was like this, like you you knew it was a great idea and like, you're like, I can't wait for this to be successful. And it was just, the problem with it was there was just a there was a chaotic energy around it. Yeah. So it never felt grounded. And for me, I was like, I should just stay away from this. Like, I was like, this now, we, Ted feels like he's sinking (laughs) and he's, he's (laughs) grasping for life or grasping for air. And I'm like, I'm going to stay here and like stay on this float. And that's when the distance came apart. And to be honest, it really distanced Ted and I in general. Like, Hmm. I didn't really know how to have conversations with him after that. Like, it made me feel very insecure around my real friendship with one of these this guys who, like, was a big part of my life. And, um, yeah, it, that made looking back on that now, like, that's that probably brought me feeling really sad. And, um,
0: uh, you know, and that's the, one, the biggest reason why I'm, I'm fascinated with this story and having you guys talk about it is because there seems to be a general um you know there's a misalignment between heart-shaped creative people who come into corporate america and you know there's a there's a lot to that 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 we're going to try to unpack a little bit um on this podcast but i i'm i'm grateful to hear you guys lay lay out the story of how you know how these things clashed you know and, and why they clash in our society and how that those clashes End up being, you know, the downfall of billion-dollar companies. Um, so I just wanted to to reference that because it's, you know, it's it's one it's one of the biggest reasons that I'm I'm fascinated in this story. Besides the fact that it's kind of like, you know, it's very hot right now.
2: Um, one of the coolest things, just to highlight from that, is the fact that like Ted and I weren't the only heartfelt people. Literally, yeah. like, all the head people, like I have heart connections with like everyone was solid and everyone was driven to make this work. And it was a drive that wasn't forced. It was believed in. And I think they found something there where like people would stay till 5am doing doing stuff. I was like, I'm pulling an all nighter to get this. And it's because it was we believed in the, the thing, like we believed in this force. And It was a very real thing. It's hard to like talk about like, but it was like this, it it was this utopian feeling of community and love and acceptance. And Mm -hmm. for me, belonging, like I felt like I belonged to something and coming out of college, being moving to
0: New York city, man. I mean, that's, I I was like
2: sick. I belong. That's huge. Yeah. Feeling of belonging was everything. And I think that's also for New Yorkers. Like, Oh yeah a space where you felt safe and you belonged, and you could literally just talk to people without your phones. Like.
0: Especially like when you first moved to New York, people don't realize yeah. how isolating that can be. You know, they just, they're like, you're around millions of people. Be like, yeah. Come. It doesn't mean anything. You know, when you don't know anyone, it feels like you're totally alone. Um, but I, you know, one of the things I, that I, I want to talk about is why are we as a society drawn to figures like Adam, you know, how, how How did he allow toxic masculinity, for lack of a better word, to define and eventually destroy the the company that he built?
1: Um, You know, it's funny because uh, uh, I'm not a magician, but I do a lot of magic tricks because I made a movie about magicians. I do magic very well um, and uh, I know a lot about it. I spent 10 years with magicians, and I somehow did not realize that Adam was a magician. He was showing one thing and then doing another. Mm -hmm. When we see a magic trick, we know that's happening, and that's sort of the the game. It's like we say, okay, we're going to play this game where you're going to do something, and you're going to trick me, and that's okay because it's going to be fun this trick nobody knew we were involved with nobody sort of said okay do you want to see a magic trick right. we work. It wasn't like that it was like Ta-da.
0: Oh.
1: <laughs> yeah so you know i mean but i didn't i didn't see it uh and and you know I, I so the work i do now i i'm a visiting scholar at the peace innovation lab at stanford and i'm i'm really interested in in masculinity and uh i'm really interested in how we go from Well, well, what is it about the kind of masculinity that's showing up right now? And some people call it toxic and I get that, but really it's immature masculinity. Mm -hmm. It's a masculinity that's all about charm and charm or charming means seeming as if blessed by God, but inspiring is in the breath of God. Mm -hmm. And the question I ask is like, why are we falling for all of these charming boy kings? rather than waiting around to be inspired, it doesn't matter if it's men or women, inspired by leaders who are in the breath of God. They really have a vision that's amazing and that they are, they're bringing us all with them. And, and, and in the breath of God means connected to everyone for the greatest good of everyone. I sit here with an iPhone and like Steve Jobs started this shit. He's the first boy king. I mean there are many before him but like, like
0: yeah
1: he is i mean the stuff that he's left us is so toxic mm-hmm. um and for some reason we decided to put him up on this huge pedestal and think it's okay to act crazy and like a you know and 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 to be mean to people and all this kind of stuff and to act like a like a petulant child because well you're brilliant
2: yeah
1: you know and it's like i think that's that's nonsense that being said I really don't appreciate this. Mm. And I made the mistake of talking to the writer of this and I was really hoping that the writer of this was going to was going to tell a story about Adam that's not about Adam, but it's about who are we? What is it about us that we are 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 promoting boy kings? What mm. is it about us? That is promoting that 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 is so, so. We're such a quick. We need such a quick fix. That charming is good enough. Why can't we wait for inspiring? What is it about us? However, billion dollar loser. Man. That's just that's fucking toxic. Like that's a that, mean that's nasty. Capitalizing
0: thing to say. on this already completely flawed and destructive notion of believing in. The boy king so now we're going to sensationalize the fall of it and nobody learns a fucking thing you know I no
1: mean, nobody learns problem. a fucking thing and it's just so sad because i talked i talked with uh reeves and i really thought that we were connecting on on how this is really a story about about masculinity and how we need to promote a new kind of mature masculinity how we need to invite a new masculinity to the stage and that doesn't mean men that means um that means the masculine which is which is a pole Um, I mean, I run men's circles specifically because I'm trying to bring myself and other men through the long, dark night of the soul to become wise men, to become men of service. And no, I don't think Adam is a man of service. However, there's no reason to say nasty things about him. It's much more interesting to me to to say, well, what, what, what can we learn from this? What can we learn about about ourselves from this from this story? Uh, And, and I'm sad that I was in, that I, that I, that that I in any way supported this book because I don't understand why, why billion dollar loser, is just so nasty, such a nasty thing to say. And, and, and it it makes me so sad because you don't bite toxicity with toxicity. You don't bite toxins with toxins. You transmute toxins and that's not what's happening here.
0: Yeah uh man i'm sorry that uh you were rita skeeter i don't don't, i'm kidding reading harry potter to my son (laughs) and (laughs) is the name of that uh reporter who's always screwing people over and i'm like he's only nine but i'm like do you see how reporters are do you see (laughs) i think it goes well my shirt anyway um so you know it's it's fascinating the transformation of the alpha male and how we've gone from John Wayne and Schwarzenegger and Stallone to you know kind of like the revenge of the nerds era and Bill Gates Steve Jobs Zuckerberg you know you know not that one is better than the other but you know when when bullies rise to power they tend to bring a lot of the sociopathy and trauma with them I mean we know what happens to kids who are bullied too much you know you could google the columbine uh shootings and find out exactly what happens to kids who go off the hinge from being bullied too much and some of these kids who were bullied are in very large positions of power right now and it's a scary thing you know and even though they may think that they have refined themselves and healed because they have everything they have everything you can imagine in the material world you know it doesn't mean that they have and that some of their actions I think speak loud and clear to that but you know adam wanted to and he strived to be one of these new alpha males as i understand the situation um so i think that you know the archetypes in our society need to transform and, and ted i uh, i really enjoyed what you said um about about adam and about that nasty book cover and you know the problem with that and, um So thank you for, for sharing all that.
1: And let me be clear because I also want to make sure that I'm not being, uh, uh, nasty to Reeves now, uh, the writer and, 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 you know, sending toxin towards him. I'm upset. I'm definitely upset. And I'm, I'm voicing my upset. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if first I haven't read the book. I am literally judging the book by its cover. Um, and I, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he wanted a different title and he was pushed by the corporate machine to have to come up with that title and you know otherwise i have no idea we don't know what's the behind the scenes i just think it's a sad state of affairs that once again we're weaponizing gossip
0: Mm. yeah yeah you know it's uh there's a there's a total lapse of responsibility you know and that's boy kings are notorious for not taking responsibility for for their actions for pointing the finger and and playing it off i mean we see it all the time from the highest office you know right down to the the smallest ceo i mean it's and that's a it's a problem it's a maturity problem you know and it's rampant in our society and not just in men i mean that there's it is rampant in people you know and i um i mean i have children as well and i know you do ted and i it's one of the things that I'm constantly telling them about not blaming, not, not pointing the finger and blaming people.
1: Let me be very clear. Masculine and feminine does not mean men and women. They are poles. Mm-hmm. There's the masculine on one side, there's the feminine on the other side. We all have the masculine and the feminine. And we move between those two poles and some of us show up more in one area and some of us show up more in another area and men show up generally more in the masculine and women show up generally more in the feminine, but that's only in on average. So when women show up, the workplace, the way we've created the workplace is an immature masculine place because we have quarterly reports which means you cannot take responsibility for your actions. You can't think long-term. That's not an option. That's not part of the game. So when women show up in this same space, they show up in their immature masculine. Everyone has immature masculine, and women can do it too. Men do it more. Women do it as well.
0: I'm going to read you guys a quote uh, that I think is incredibly relevant and I think you'll appreciate. It goes a person who has no remorse no conscience no ethics and no compassion is is a sociopath an economic order which does not have a conscience ethics or compassion and which justifies its amorality by saying that all of our responsibility is only to accrue money is a sociopathic economic system that sociopathic economic system has become an economic tyranny in the united states of america and we are now living in a time where huge corporate conglomerates, whether it's oil, fossil fuel, chemical, agricultural, big pharma, health insurance companies, the military industrial complex, our government has now become a system of legalized bribery. Marianne Williamson said that when she announced she was running for president. Um, And I just thought, wow, that covers it. That hits the nail right on the head. I mean, that is what is wrong right now with our government and the corporations who quietly run that run the government because we all know that's what's well most of us know that's what's really going on um some of us take that some of us know um you know and and talking about the environment at we work and um, you know and ted i i i love what you said about the understanding that it's, 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 it's not just a male thing, because you, you can see it, you know, in, in many women who who come up through corporate America and, and are reconditioned in this, you know, it's, a, it, there's, there's no balance. It's, it's the, the there's too much uh, masculine and, and it's a, it's a cutthroat, compassionless energy, you know, and we see it all the time. We see it with what's going on right now in our, country and around the world with uh, some of the things going on with covid and um that's a whole another podcast though <laughs> um but I would love to hear To be
1: to be clear to be clear it's not too much masculine it's immature masculine mm. it's not about having too much masculine because usually when a lot of masculine shows up a lot of feminine shows up in order to balance it it's mm-hmm. when you have the immature masculine that you get into trouble, that you have petulant children, or you have what what the Tantra archetype is of the high chair tyrant. I don't know if you can think of a high chair tyrant who might be running a country right now that might be saying things like, uh, maybe he doesn't leave if he is uh, taken out of office, which destroys a democracy.
0: Yeah. Like, I can think of a few actually.
1: You, you, people think, oh, but you know, people are greedy and, and that's just the, na- that's the natural nature of people. And so corporate America is, is the response to people being greedy. And I would argue that's not true. And the reason we know that's not true, or one way we know that's not true, is that uh, the game Monopoly, the way we all play it, where it lasts forever, <laughs> is not the game that was created, the game that was created, and is not the game that you buy, by the way. When you buy the game, if you actually read the top of the box and played by those rules, which means you land on free parking, you don't get money, you don't get extra money from time to time from different places, none of that stuff. All that stuff that we added to keep people playing makes it an infinite game, which is beautiful and is what we want. Right. The actual game, if you play it correctly, it ends in about 20 minutes and there are winners and losers. And it's very clear. And the whole point of the game was it was created by some religious group. I can't remember which one. It was created by them to teach their children. I think it might have been the Amish or a group like the Amish to teach their children that this kind of that, that corporations and monopoly are something you want to stay away from. So they would play it for 20 minutes. They would be angry because some would win, some would lose, they'd be bored and they'd go outside.
0: Yeah, it was created to demonstrate the evils of capitalism. You know, like, look, see exactly. how much fun this is? It's not, you know what I mean? I mean, I walk in and my kids are trying to play it. And I just hear them yelling and fretting I'm like, why are you, I mean, they should make that game and the Ouija board that should just taking it right off the shelves because they're both trouble. <laughs> you
1: know? Well, if you played it correctly, it wouldn't yeah. be trouble.
0: Same with the you'd beating, be done really. in
1: 20 minutes and you learn your lesson.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, one of the one of the things that we we I've been talking about, you know, um, with a lot of people and that I'm so thrilled to have you guys on to talk about it, is this this. The fact that we are human beings and that we are living in this capitalistic society um, and that when you but when you take the the human factor out because uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but.
1: So basically a corporation starts when a group of people get together, they create an entity and then at that moment they start to abdicate, they, they abdicate responsibility to a concept and the concept has no moral center whatsoever. And it has two things it must do. It's actually the law that it must do these things. It must grow And it must collect money and whoever runs it must make sure that it grows and collects money or they are not doing their fiduciary responsibility and can actually be sued for that
0: that's right it's
1: not the ceo's fault it's literally their job they have to do that they don't have a choice and so and then and then as you abdicate responsibility and then as you make it exponential because you start abdicating responsibility and then you hire people and you abdicate responsibility to them and on and on and on and on it goes. Well, then nobody has responsibility and there's no moral compass and there's nobody to say, but this isn't what we're supposed to be doing That's and this right. isn't the right way and blah, 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 because nobody can do that anymore because there's no human. You see, the thing that I think is interesting is people say, yeah, 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 but corporations are made up of people. No, they're not. People work for corporations, right. they're not made up of people.
0: Right. There's a big difference. And and what I what, what I think needs to change, it, it you know, the laws right now in our country protect the corporation and protect the company and not the people and not the planet. And that this has been written right into policy and you can see it. I mean, and it's literally killing us in a lot of ways. And just just you know, look at what's going on right now. Everybody's heard the word Monsanto, everybody knows bear and you know the fact that we have a government health organization that has yet to recognize the direct link between roundup and um glyphosate am i saying that right is it glyphosate
1: glyphosate yep
0: glyphosate and and cancer and you have other countries like mexico who uh, americans tend to you know look upon with this you know um inferiority stain right who have already scheduled it to be banned to be banned and and you know and that's all because of the government's policy of protecting corporations over people at all costs doesn't matter how many lives are lost i mean and you can go right you're talking about 80 years of assorted history of doing this of of putting corporations first and uh it is a problem and and you know if if we're entering into a new world it's one of the things that has to change but you know there's only been a few presidents who you know even we acknowledged it let alone tried to change it the ones that tried to change it didn't survive <laughs> you know um and you know we could argue about trump all day but i you know i i don't think he's trying to change that you know he may be trying to change a few things and um, you know, but but business is not something that he frowns upon, obviously he's a businessman. So. Um,
1: it's interesting that you bring up a couple of presidents that didn't survive because the brother of the president who didn't survive, Robert Kennedy. Um, I, I worked with uh, Edgar Kahn, who was his speech writer mm-hmm. and Edgar Kahn went on to be the father of time banking. And what Edgar Kahn taught me about economics was the most interesting thing I've ever heard and I really understood why economics is a pseudoscience. And the reason is because economics does not take into account externalities, Mm -hmm. which means it does not take into account in the math, the effect that any of the things it does has. Mm -hmm. So for example, you do something and it affects the air, that's not figured in to the economics of what has happened. It might at some point happen with the carbon tax. That's the beginning of even considering worrying about externalities. And without externalities as part of the conversation, you're doing, you're, doing, you're, you're counting nonsense right. because you're talking about growth, but you're not talking about growth and thinking about the effect you're having on other people. Right. But like, I'm sitting here in Stockholm, okay? Mm-hmm. This is a place that deeply cares about public health. Mm -hmm. deeply, they care a lot. They do a lot to care about public health. There are a lot of rules and regulations to make sure that people are safe to a degree that Swedes are annoyed by. They're just like, come on, it's like this, like why you have all these fucking rules? But what's really interesting to me is that COVID hits and all of a sudden the United States cares about public health. (laughs) How did that happen? We don't care about glyphosate. We allow drunk driving. <laughs> drunk driving is legal in America. 0.08 <laughs> percent is drunk driving, Smoking, not to mention the fact drinking. that we let you do it anyway. Here, it's 0.02%. If you have a little bit too much mouthwash and you get into a car, yeah, you're, you're done try. driving. Because they don't allow drunk driving because it kills people right so why are we so worried about covid which is basically unstoppable there's nothing you can do about it it's a fucking virus unless you want to act like a fascist country or put yourself in a fucking
0: hermetically sealed suit you know exactly
1: but there are things we can fix we could stop drunk driving we could stop glyphosate we could stop so many things that are killing us and part of the reason by the way that america is doing so badly is because we're a fucking sick country. (laughs) We're really, really sick. And so of course, when a virus comes, we're not gonna do so well. Why is Sweden doing so well? Part of the reason is because they're not sick.
0: Much healthier population, you know. Um,
1: Much healthier.
0: And they have done
1: nothing. They've they've basically done nothing. I'm here in Stockholm and like, I don't know, there's some lines on the floor to say like, you know, try to be separate and like, you know, whatever. But they don't wear masks or any of that madness, nothing.
0: Dude, it's fucking insane here. I don't, don't even get me started because I'll, I will never shut up about it. Um, but yeah, I've been saying this, man, you know, and people, people don't want to hear it because people don't want to take responsibility for their own health. People do not want to take responsibility for their sovereignty. You know, it, it's easy to give your power away. It's the, it's a victim mentality. Um, and, and it's rampant here. And, and you can't, You can't tell anyone anything, you know, like they they want their vaccines, they want their McDonald's, they want their masks, they don't want you near them because you may breathe on them. I mean, even New York City, dude.
1: I, I, I have to I have to argue with you. I don't agree. I don't think people really want that. I think that people have been taught to want that. Yeah. I think there's a big difference. I don't think people want McDonald's. I think it, just like people don't, you know, it's like a drug, like any yeah. other drug. You give someone a drug and you get their dopamine receptor to hit, and nobody wants Facebook. Yeah. We're just fucking addicted to it. <laughs> I, I actually think that it's not, it's not actually that we, like this masks uh, all of the stuff that we're, the whole way that we're showing up, we were taught that we that we don't know our bodies and we don't know what's best for us. I was taught that, you yeah. know, and that the doctors know what's best for you. So what are you gonna do? It's that's true. what you're taught.
0: No, it's true. I
1: don't think it's really people's fault as much as it's a a a bad, a bad code. Yeah. yeah, a bad code that's been that's been taught to people and, and sort of given to people in, in a way that is is problematic.
0: No, you're I think you're on to something I, I, I I'm with you. So speaking of immature masculinity um, and how rampant it is. You know, you guys are basically a fallout from this kind of environment and this workplace. So it's fascinating to to hear your story, uh, uh, considering the size that we work took, you know, and how huge it became and how you, I mean, in my opinion, you guys were instrumental in that size um and how grand this company became and i think that also was instrumental in alec i'm sorry adam's downfall and how he became a boy king you know but i wanted to hear a, a, a little more about that and alex i want to hear about your experience because I, I know that it it's it was not all sunshine and roses for you um and that you know you've got you're still kind of dealing with the environment that you dealt with, you know, in a lot of ways, the repercussions of that and some, some um, PTSD that came from it. And uh, so I want to hear that as well.
2: Cool. Do you want to start then Ted, or should I go in? How do you want to do this? Let me just say one thing. I'll
1: just say when I got fired, it fucking hurt. It really, really hurt. Cause I did think I was part of something. And I was Mm -hmm. like, I, I was totally surprised by being fired, like I did not see it coming at all. And Adam said to me, but like, don't worry. It's just, this isn't the right place for you. But like, I've got lots of friends, we're gonna set you up and all that kind of stuff. And I never heard from him again. (laughs) And it was it was really fucking painful. Like it really, really hurt. Um, And uh, uh, many, many years later, you know, I was still kind of like angry with him. And I realized like, it's really important to forgive people, not for the person you're forgiving, but for yourself because otherwise yeah. you're holding that upset and there's no reason to be holding that upset. Or as my teacher put it, it's like a little piece of you is, is putting its arms like this, You know, is crossing its arms and standing at the doorway of this person who left long time ago. It's That's like, funny. call that soldier back. So the way I called the soldier back was I wrote Adam an email to thank him for what he taught me. Um, and that really made me feel better. Uh, and he didn't respond and I didn't expect him to respond, but it did make me feel better. And and what I thanked him for was I thanked him for teaching me that if you don't allow the people around you to feel safe in the ideas that you're bringing forth and, and the way you plan to make them happen, then you're leaving them out. And since people support what they help create. It doesn't work that way. You can't do that. And he taught me that. That was very helpful.
0: Yeah, just talking to someone Ted who uh, is a um, he's a physicist, but he's a psychophysicist. He studied quantum physics, um, and he acts Joe, as a Joe Dispenza? No, uh, don't. Uh, Doctor Joe is my he's he's my teacher. He, he I, I could talk about him all day. But this guy is a uh, is a different individual. His name is Michael uh, Pisaje. I don't know if I said his last name right, but he's. You could check out his podcast uh he was on on the show but he talks a lot about forgiveness and and how you know when he gets these people who come to him one of the biggest things that he finds and tracks in the body is you know and and what what he unearths is that it's it's it is a forgiveness thing it's something that they are holding on to because they've been so hurt and they don't want to let go of it and he's like don't let go of it for them let go of it for you man you know let go of it for you and you will heal and, and exactly. th- it's amazing to hear someone, you know, and you're echoing that here. So I just wanted to, to
1: Well, the the place I learned it in in addition to my teacher Thomas Jones of the paradox process, the other place I learned it was um in the Book of Joy, which is Archbishop Desmond Tutu talking with the Dalai Lama. And Archbishop Desmond Tutu um is telling about when he created the uh, Peace and um uh the the, the peace and what is it? The peace recon- and reconciliation tribunals yeah. uh, for the for it was either Bur- uh, uh, Rwanda or Burundi, I can't remember. and it was the Hutu and the Tutsi. and um, and I don't remember which side uh, was which, so so I might get this wrong, but the the Hutu mothers who ha- whose, whose sons had been killed by Tutsi warriors, he went to the mothers and he said, the best thing we can do is for you to forgive the killers of your sons. Mm. And the thinking would be like, I'm not going to forgive the killer of my son, but he convinced them to do it. And what it did was it created relationship between the mothers and the killers Mm. who, and now they both became humans again, and they were able to heal together because Mm. the truth of the matter is that in a restorative justice context, not in a crime and punishment context, but in a restorative justice context, the toxin is not any individual, it is in the system and mm-hmm. the system must work together to bring it out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. Um, Alex, can you tell me a little bit about some of the things that went on at WeWork and, you know, um, you being uh, a, a minority, uh, you know, you mentioned your salary was sixty K. Um meanwhile you're making videos that were literally closing twenty million dollar deals. Um and I, you know, I know that uh emotionally it's been scarring for you. I mean if it's okay if I say if I if I say 100%. that. And you know, um can you talk a bit about it if you're comfortable with that?
2: Yeah, yeah. I think um how do I start? I just, I was just, I was just so young and I didn't, I go, I went into situations with full trust. How old were you? And I was 23 and I'd never been in the, I'd never lived in the city. So like Mm -hmm. I just went in with, with full trust. This is a good person. And, um, in, in the beginning, like Adam is an incredible, he was in he, he was inspirational and he, he demanded this certain energy that like felt really special and it was really feel, felt good to be around. Um, once the company started getting bigger, um, he started operating with fear. So the way that he could control how it all worked was fear and a lot of it was based on judgment of not doing a good job or even just like you, you're not worth his time. So he shows up like super late. And so he created these almost tactics, which to be honest, I really believe were tactics To cause he did that with really important meetings. So like he would come an hour and a half late to a really important meeting and they'd never been waited on before. Like, they're just like, what are we doing? Mm. He could do that. And they would stay. And that would give him this, like, presence. And, um, like, he was, he was needed or work was needed. And, um, like, <clears throat> I think as time wore on, like, you saw more celebrities coming in. And the parties got bigger. And it just, he, you could see that he cared a lot about being cool and like that whole boy king aspect of being qb1 like started showing up and um i remember like it it was awkward when like at summer camp he would go find the artist and like pour him a tequila shot and make sure he got pictures with him and things tell like what, I, tell us what
0: happened with that with that video um you know and i look i've i've <laughs> i've heard the words intellectual property rape before I mean, yeah I've worked well what's at, it's,
2: it's it's interesting because i think it's another i think it's maybe another case of like rebecca or something where like i created the, the summer camp video the first one i used a song which said do what you love then mm-hmm. literally after we screened that for about a week the slogan everything changed to do what you love now they called it divine timing because they had created that. That's kind of crazy to think <laughs> like that was yeah. real. Like they, they felt the video. They liked what it meant. They were like, this is what everyone's doing. They should do what they love. Yeah. And so then next day, like next week, you see eight story building plastered, do what you love on the side. And I was just like, whoa, wow. <laughs> I remember making that at 4 a.m. What is going on? Yeah, And it just, it, it was so interesting because it, like, it felt very, uh, the relationship felt, felt very transactional and taking. Mm. And um, I almost was just like, this is what it is. I didn't know anything any better. And yeah. so I'm like, okay, cool. Like I should act this way and do what he says. And it I kind of became that like pawn. There wasn't a, a level of, kind of trust and respect that I had with Ted when I would create with him Mm -hmm. um and to be honest he was the only other person that I created with in that this type of capacity and so then Adam hired me a manager who was an asshole and then it just became this like I didn't and and to be honest now it sounds like I'm almost being a victim in this like here's the thing I was young I had no idea what was going on and didn't know how to stand up for myself and didn't know I didn't really have a voice either like I couldn't speak my feelings or stand up for myself and so I got trapped in these scenarios and so I was trapped and thinking about it now which is amazing is that I started filming musicians because they made me feel something and it brought me gave me life and so I filmed my best friend's band um the great great Caesar and we made this like we had this dream to make this music video that was sporting equal rights and gay rights and civil rights and we did a kickstarter and i convinced adam in a pitch to donate 10 grand to the kickstarter and then i quit <laughs> <laughs> and I I, I I forgot that that was actually part of it and it's pretty amazing that i remember him writing the check and then going to his office and saying like yeah, I can't work here anymore. Yeah, and when I did that, I felt this power come back. Yeah, and he then said, I, "You can't leave."
0: What? Well, how did he commit How try to convince you to stay again?
2: Well, he tried, he was just like, "I'll double your salary." Yeah, and then he then was just like, "Okay, I'll give you more than that." And it's just like one of those things where he was he was realizing he had lost me. Yeah. Um. What was and you were
0: realizing what you should have been being and what paid I should have
2: been said, yeah,
0: the whole time, yeah,
2: yeah. But and I still didn't know, and I to be honest, I still like not maybe till like six months ago did I kind of know my worth. <laughs> like, I have no, I didn't really know how much people made in this and what I was doing for these people and yeah. for these companies. And this, what's hard is that, that that thing I did with WeWork continued into the three other companies I've worked with since. Yeah. But now it's I'm, I have my own company, and now I'm finally learning. Like, oh, wait a second. And yeah. So that's been beautiful to to break that cycle. Um, oh, I bet, but yeah. it was wild to go because I would come back to WeWork, so I would come back and film their like big events. They
0: were they were constantly tempting you to come back, yeah. right? I mean, they they threw out some offers for you. Right? Huge,
2: and like they they came back and like from filming the WeWork Summit, they rented out the entire. Dude, the WeWork summit was insane. What was that? Two, two thousand eighteen, I think it was. They rented out this entire hotel, and then they rented out the entire Universal Studios. What? So we could ride all the rides and do everything, and then the chain smokers played. Oh my and, god! And, <laughs> it's no
0: wonder they lost. I mean, it's
2: and it was wild. I remember riding the Harry Potter ride twice, and I was like. <laughs> You're I would like, normally have to a- wait in line here for five hours. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh my God, man. Um, I mean, like the amount of money but, that they
2: spent,
0: I mean, yeah. and, like
2: you should have on- seen these vents they put on too, like, and they threw money at the, the performances cause they wanted to be cool. Mm-hmm. So like they gave, I, I don't know. I don't know numbers, but the rumors are just like, just having these celebrities getting, thrown in, giving them six figures to literally just show up.
0: What do you call that? Celebrity, um, celebrity spotting, or what, what, what do they call that? Not when they put when they pay them to show up, I mean, yeah, exactly the time they're doing that, but,
2: but they were doing that. And then to be, I think it all came to a real end. Um, there was, well, I don't know if I want to talk about that project. It came to the real end. The we grow is Rebecca's childcare and she didn't like my video um, and the day before it showed to all the parents and the press she re-edited it without asking me to what? a beatles song and it looked horrendous it was terrible <laughs> and i'm in the audience watching it and i'm like did she really re-edit wow. my video without asking and like we spent all this time making this video and I left and didn't, I haven't spoken to them since. I just got up and left.
0: I don't blame you, man. Yeah, I'm, Cause
2: I'm like, here they go again. Like, I can't believe they think they could do this when I put like two months into making that video. And
0: I mean, we talk about a, how could this, what a screw job, man. I mean, a, how could you, you can't feel more screwed over than that, you know? And all of a sudden you're, you know, you're looking at a video that you worked on and it's not the video you worked on, you know, that, that, that you put like your heart it, into. Like...
2: It's like this, like thing in your gut. And you're
0: like, whoa! It's what? like a punch in the gut. It's like a visceral punch in the gut. You're like, you know, I, I mean, I felt it. I've been, I've been in a situation just like that. You know, you're like, this yeah. is not what I made. This is not what we put our heart into. Um, you know, just for context for our listeners, is do you guys want to say who Rebecca is so people know um, kind of her pedigree, for lack of a better word?
2: Rebecca is um adam newman's wife mm-hmm. she also has now become a co-founder stated in as a co-founder because she says she helped create it mm-hmm. and so she asks i'm pretty sure she's a co-founder now it's like miguel her and adam yeah and um, it turns
1: out i went to high school with her even though i didn't realize it until much later oh really <laughs> yeah but it was a year above me in high school She's uh, oh, got it. Gwyneth Paltrow's uh, sister. Ah. No, Gwyneth Paltrow's cousin.
0: Or her cousin. Yeah. She's a Paltrow. She's a Paltrow. She's a Paltrow. Yeah. Maybe she wants her own vagina candle. <laughs>
1: <laughs> she
0: might. I guess we'll have to cut that part out.
1: No, put that part <laughs> in. That's amazing.
0: <laughs> After Ted was gone, you know, you continued on, and how how long were you guys? separated and then when did you end up come kind of coming back together
2: so i ted was gone i stayed for another like year and a half maybe two um and then i left and then i was kind of i was scared to reach out to ted i felt a lot of shame and guilt and sadness around the whole incident mm-hmm. that i had to lose a friend for signing myself to we work <laughs> and yeah. um it, it took some courage to reach out i think we potentially bumped into each other a few times when he was still in new york and then i remember having some phone calls with him just to check in um but <clears throat> we but, ran into each other at burning man well, oh, no way that's what <laughs> it was <laughs>
1: um so i don't know that that was our reconnection but that was like the beginning of starting to be our reconnection but we definitely well, ran i into each other I remember
2: running burning into you man. and that w- but i was pretty fucked up so like <laughs> i don't remember it too much but um <laughs>
0: how the fuck did you i mean it's so hard to run into someone you know a burning man without without knowing where they are and you guys ran into each other
1: yeah it was just, supposed to be it had you know it was one of those kind wow. of manifestation things amazing. that had to happen
0: I mean, I tried to find friends and I knew where they were going to be and we had the time and everything. And I'm like, where the fuck are they? You? you know, like I couldn't find them anywhere. It's crazy. It's cool.
2: Yeah. So I think, it, yeah, I think that's, it was more of that moment. And I think what, what it was was I, the experience of seeing you I, in that instant, I did feel like torn, not sure how to be myself with you because I was experiencing the shame that I had with it. That I was like why am I scared or why is the energy off here and I remember holding on to that and realizing wait a second that's something that's not been cleared in my life yet and then I remember having I remember calling you not specifically mentioning that moment but to kind of just reconnect and what's been so cool now is like Ted is literally my executive coach and awesome. um and also just has become a great has always been, but has is is become a great friend. And um, it's been really cool to see, for me to realize in the beginning, that's what he was doing in the beginning. Like I had just moved to New York. He was helping me, uh, he was coaching me. And um, it's fun to have that energy back into my life. Um, and cool. also the same way, like I've been doing, I, I'm involved in a lot of masculine work as well. And so it's been cool to like, have yeah. conversations with him about circling in men's groups and stuff.
0: Yeah, man. It's uh, it's an important conversation to have. And I wanted to ask you guys while I have you, I don't know if you can talk about it or not. Um, you know, Can I just that...
1: respond to that first before sure, you ask the sure, next question? Um, you know, I realized, like, I, I, I uh, coach individuals now in addition to uh, running men's circles. And, um, and I'm really happy to have uh, Alex as a. Uh, a client because it's amazing working with him, mm-hmm. but I realized that he taught me to be a coach. That I even that to even that I even was a coach. I didn't know that when we mm-hmm. were at WeWork, I had no idea that that's what I was doing. That mm-hmm. that our relationship was like that, and that that was the most important thing we were doing at WeWork. Really, all the other stuff was you know whatever. But like the relationship we were creating was really meaningful. And it took me a long time to figure that out, um, and so to come full circle now, and to to be doing that work professionally as my main you know thing that I do, and yeah. to have Alex in that is is just a wonderful thing. So I really, I deeply appreciate Alex for sort of like teaching te- teaching me who I was, who I am.
0: That's uh, I'm so glad you shared that, Ted, because. I feel like every situation has an opportunity like that. Even the ones that were like, oh, man, I was the worst. Like, that was the worst time mm-hmm. of my life. But now, you know, it's like, but yeah, OK, but you understand that you came from that time and you're here now with that experience because of that time. So, it, you know, it, it doesn't have to be the worst. It, can, it, it could just be, a, a you know, a stepping stone. I just think that re- recontextualizing is such an important way to to not only understand your past, but, you know, understand where you are right now. And so I'm glad you shared that because uh, I think it's it's important. It's not a trick, but for people to practice, you know, and to hear that and to hear your story, how you didn't even realize it, that, but that's what was going on. I feel like it happens so to a lot of us. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to ask you while I have you guys, I know it's a little controversial uh, about Saudi Arabia and the $2 billion that they, that they gave and invested in, in WeWork. And I mean, it was, the, it was the guy who killed Khashoggi, right? I mean, is that, can you talk about that? Or is that is that off limits? I don't
2: know, like- <laughs> <Correct>. <laughs> it was also more than 2 billion. It was going to be a lot more than that. And then they only gave that amount.
0: I mean, like $2 billion, $2 billion. No, but
2: it was going to be like 15. My God.
0: Like I don't understand that. How do you make that sales? It's not not
1: often the case that uh, Israelis and and Saudi Arabians uh, see eye to eye. Yeah. So that's an interesting.
0: I mean, change of Alex. Tell me, (laughs) tell me about when you went to Saudi Arabia and and, and the kind, like the you know, just I mean, just a little bit.
2: Here's where I'm at. I think it's okay to talk about. I definitely didn't sign anything, yeah. but I also want to know like, if we want to save this for something we want to do later because yeah. it is like, that is... Okay. I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, what, no,
0: I understand. Um, because
2: like, yeah. we, that was literally one of the... So <laughs> Adam had a guy who was called, he was the director of special projects. Yeah. <laughs> who was that? What
1: who, who was the director of special projects?
2: Um, it was. Oh, OK. Yeah, that makes sense. And so he did this all the special projects. Yeah. OK. And so um, they came, they brought me in and they're just like, can you do this? Can you fly to Saudi Arabia <laughs> and film a documentary about the potential WeWorks and the partners that yeah. we would be created in the Middle East? um We can give you right now. Yeah, and I was like, no, I need at least. Yeah, and they're like, okay, <laughs> without question. Yeah. and I was like, fuck, <laughs> That's so much more. <laughs> That's not enough. <laughs> you
0: know what? I misspoke. We're gonna
2: need 150. I was like, that was so easy. And what I realized it was literally because it was for the opening of the $15 billion deal coming through. And it was, that's the video that was going to be like shown and all throughout the Middle East and everything like that. And so I went, I went for, um, 10 days. It was, (laughs) it was so intense. Like I put myself through some crazy shit personally to get through into that because like, I remember getting chased because I was filming a woman
0: oh,
2: and yeah. I remember getting, being scared for my life that like these guys, this crew of guys saw me filming a woman Yeah, and um, they started yelling something and started coming towards us. And she said, get in the car. And it was just like these, these really, it, it was, it brought me a, an understanding of how Riyadh works and yeah. how, Like, it's a very, very different country. And I was hanging out, but also I had the luxury of hanging out with a Saudi prince who was going to be the director of WeWork. Wow. And so I got it through his eyes. Like,
0: yeah, that's what I I mean. And, and, you know, we've spoke a little bit about this before. And you were like, dude, (laughs) I mean, like, what was what did he think that he was building? I mean, what did he what did he think he was going to be in charge of?
2: He thought he was going to be charged we WeWork in the Middle East. Like he was, he thought he was going to run. He he thought he would had the opportunity becoming kind of the Adam of the Middle East. I
0: see.
2: Um, <laughs> that's cool, man. That's have crazy. you stayed in touch? Yeah, dude. He was. We were going to host a men's group in the desert in Saudi before COVID hit. Oh wow! wow that's awesome. I was going to fly to Riyadh. Wow. It was going. to... And I was going to film it. I was going to film that. Nice.
0: That's crazy. You know, one of the things that I think, and, you know, I I think it's changing now. I think it's becoming more understood, but I think it needs to be taught. It's like, Ted, you were talking about how, you know, the problem is that people are not taught about their bodies and you know and i think it's the same with with vulnerability and masculinity you know but there's this disconnect where kids from a young age and and it's and it's not just in the in in boys but you know even even girls you know it's this this uh vulnerability is, is kind of stamped out of them and that's so harmful in the long run you know and it's not I feel like it's you know a lot of the destructive behaviors that we see you know in even highly successful people comes from this stamping out of vulnerability and um you know one of the biggest things i think that is a takeaway from all this you know is, is that you know it, it it's a superpower for men you know i mean ask any woman um who's evolved and i i think they'll agree you know it's and it's becoming more and more common, but I think it needs to become even more common, you know. I'll
1: take it another step. It's a superpower for leaders. Yeah. Because if you are vulnerable as a leader, you're doing two things. One, you're creating trust among the people around you that you are human like they are. Mm-hmm. And two, you're taking away any ability for them to hold something against you because you've already given them everything. Mm-hmm vulnerability is is absolutely a superpower it's what we teach in we don't teach it's what we hold as a truth in quantum warrior the men's circle that I run and that so between vulnerability and responsibility becomes that's that's where the mature masculine is found
0: you know emotions are such a powerful energy um, that go out and we have this huge spectrum of it and we don't realize it when we when we stop using parts of it that we're cutting ourselves off from our power and our true expression of who we are um and you know for some men it's worse than others you know but i just wanted to bring that up because we are on far out with faust and you guys aren't getting off the show without coming far out with me okay so so i want to ask you alex
1: We didn't go far out with COVID?
0: Well, not far out enough, man. I mean, COVID is just another freaking virus. Bring it. Ted, what's your experience with aliens? How many ships have you been on? Tell us the truth, man.
1: (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) Swimming with the dolphins with
0: Hunter Mm
1: -hmm. in Hawaii was a fucking amazing experience. Mm -hmm. It was extraordinary. And you really got the sense of these animals, they're like. you see why they're tied into
0: the the extraterrestrial lore and in so many ways i mean very much so yeah
1: very much so i mean i've always known that uh well i'm not my father and i used to go see the orcas every year and orcas are are dolphins i mean they're called killer whales but they're really dolphins and um uh i mean orcas are incredibly smart i think they're smarter than humans And, and the way we know that is because they, they form very complicated, uh, social structures. They have, um, you know, they mourn their
0: Family culture, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. All kinds of culture. The differences, the differences, unlike humans, and this might only be because of our opposable thumb, but I don't know, they don't destroy the place they live. So They seem a lot fucking smarter than we are.
0: Well, they they can be perfectly present in that in, in that incarnation, you know, and that's, I think, what they go in for, with the beings who incarnate as orcas and, and dolphins. It's a different consciousness than we have. Slightly less complicated, but not less intelligent. Um, but, yeah, I understand what you mean. Alex, what do you think, man? Come on, tell us what you believe. Hey, it's okay. It's not everyone is, you know, is it believes. So don't, don't feel pressured.
2: I was with this, this couple, um, who's median people and like they, an alien encumbered the husband and he shapeshift and then spoke tongue. And then the wife translated and he, at one moment turned his head at an angle that shouldn't have been turned at and stared wow. at me and stared Just at me. And started, stuff? Yeah, and started yelling in gibberish and gibberish. Ah! The wife then starts crying and saying, like, we finally met him. What? And then I start, <laughs> I start shaking uncontrollably. <laughs> You're like, fuck. And this, I literally not. start almost seizuring. And then right when I oh, stop, Right were when you scared,
0: I, or were you? No, I my like body just
2: my body started like pull on like like this, and then wow. right when it stopped, I went like this. He went on the ground and just bowed, and just started crying.
0: Oh my god! And then he and then started how did that your energy? And he
2: started whispering, "I'm in the presence of an angel."
0: <laughs> wow.
2: And I was like, "Whoa! What do I believe?" That's crazy, now? man. <laughs> yeah. But but so when, when did when this happen? <laughs> like yeah, two years ago one of my friends andrew invited me he's like yo i want to meet you i want to i want to take you to the best meeting i've ever been to and i'm like shut up dude
0: yeah
2: and it's this like couple that flew in uh from some, in topanga Boy, that
0: was a memorable night for you huh you're like yeah,
2: what that, the fuck? that was fucking nuts and i was like am i a prince of the galaxy
0: you well yeah <laughs> you are in more ways than you imagined but um, so wow. when this thing, came, when this entity came over, this guy, could you, could you sense that the, the energy, in the, the energy in the
2: room changed? Yeah, uh, it it got different for sure. And like <clears throat> when he looked at me, it really I got this feeling of I was scared, and then yeah. really I felt this out of body. I shaked.
0: And, and 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 when you looked at him, you know, we one of my guess from my last show was talking about how when she first started channeling, you know, how we are all we are all made of plasma. And, you know, when we think of like ectoplasm, we, th- we think of like fucking Slimer from Star from Ghostbusters, not Star Wars. That'd be a weird Star Wars if Slimer <laughs> was in it. But, um, you know, and I and I, I was telling her how when I think of ectoplasm, I think of Slimer, but she was like, you know, we are all also plas- plasma. And when she first started to channel, she used to notice her features change and she would channel open eyed and she'd see people get freaked out. So she started to channel close eyed and then the energy balanced itself out. But she talks about how you could see the shift in her. I mean, like her friends used to get freaked out um, yeah. and people watching her channel. And I was, I just think it's a, it's an amazing correlation between what you just said and could you see like this dude, like, was he like, could he, could, did it seem like his face was like changing oh, yeah.
2: it wasn't him anymore.
0: Right. That's
2: wow. It was completely different. And he wasn't he wasn't of this world. Like he was different. It felt very unhuman mm. and it wasn't something that I could connect with. Yeah. And it was, it felt very real. Being in that presence of it, it felt very, very real. And yeah. so like my my friend was like sitting next to me saying, Don't get scared. And like yeah. I was fucked.
0: He's elbowing
2: you. You know, I was like, dude, what? Why did you bring me here? <laughs> You know, I'm like, are you going to do something to me? Is like are you part of some kind of cult that like yeah. sacrifices humans? Like am I the one guest that was brought?
0: That's anyway. crazy, man. That's crazy that that happened in front of you. Yeah. I don't nice. I wonder if that's what they had in mind when they were like, yeah, bring your friend over, we'll introduce him. <laughs> <laughs> who
2: the, who knows what they had in mind? That's crazy. But man. it didn't it it definitely brought this new kind of perspective on like I had never thought that
0: was Yeah. Real. You should like, watch some of my other podcasts. <laughs> Get another perspective or two. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's there's a wide variety of things going on that we can't see necessarily, but it's all good in the end. It's all good.
2: Yeah, and I do believe in magic. Like, I do. I do believe in the supernatural, dude. So,
0: where was this being supposedly? coming in from and where like what did they say like what you know what like what the what what happened
2: so it was a god from a different universe and he's able to challenge channel gods from different universes and he doesn't know who's going to show up
0: so he just kind of opens the door and
2: and we all do this like kind of prayer kind of thing in the beginning hmm And it uh, it opened it up, and then we just were sitting there, and he was normal, like yeah. But he was he was like making these like aching sounds, yeah, that were just not human, like they weren't human at all. Like it wasn't. Never heard a human make that sound.
0: So he just kind of opened the door, and then whatever show up
2: there to control, like to manage it. Yeah. And the wife translates him and is connected through him to translate.
0: So that's not so uncommon that that the husband and wife have a, have a psychic connection and one can, but, but the, the the fact that he opened the door like that and and is, has the welcome mat out for quote gods from other, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's, that should be a red flag (laughs) because we're (laughs) truly we're, I, I believe we're all gods, you know, but when you put that out there, you're inviting uh, a being who is going to believe himself to be superior. And so that's a different energy that he's inviting in. I mean, like, did he say what universe he was God of or what gal, you know?
2: To be honest, I bet he did. And
0: you just blocked, I it out. So
2: <laughs> blocked that out. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Um. I. Well, oh, here's one other thing. Um, I did a horse constellation mapping. Mm. Okay. So there's constellation readings, you know? Mm. I did a horse constellation reading where a woman picked – she stood up. She picked me and another person to be the two people that go into the horse stable with her. And there's this huge white horse and this other big brown horse. And I was her father Mm. in the constellation. And she just – when I enter the stable, I immediately feel like I'm a different person. Wow. And I start violently punching the ground, Un, me, not in control. Wow. I just start punching the ground screaming, and it turns out he's a Vietnam vet. And I just start scream punching the ground, and the horse comes and runs and blocks me in front from her. Wow and he puts his body next to mine. And it turns out that horses have a big, a huge heart. And so they feel more than mm. us. And so throughout the whole constellation, it basically was a rec- uh, reco- like a reunite, reunite, reuniting her yeah. with me. But the whole time the horse was like picking up on everything I was doing. Like I wanted to kick and the horse would come and take the shoe off of my foot and mm. give it to her.
0: That's so crazy man. And
2: then when I when we connected, they both circled around us and then they both rested their heads on mine and hers at the end.
0: So is th- th- this is why they used the horses, right? Yeah. I mean like that's that's phenomenal dude. I, I mean pain,
2: But weird. it also Dude, I do so many weird things. I've met so many <laughs> weird people at Burning Man, dude. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they're like, yo, Alex feels shit really hard and he's super smiley. Let's go show him a good time. <laughs> <laughs> let's,
0: just, let's take him to the horse. Let's take him to the horse. Yeah.
2: He's going to come to the horse stable.
0: <laughs> dude, that sounds That's awesome. awesome. I want to do That's that. That sounds awesome. You awesome. can
2: literally go do that. Her name's Matisse. It's in New York. No oh. shit. It's in upstate New York. We could go do it.
0: I'm going to get the information, dude. Yeah. That'd be awesome.
2: And you should do a podcast where they're in the middle of the horse thing.
0: So Ted, I want to, I got to ask you one final question before you, before I let you go, I know you're running short on time, Um, but I'm very interested in the answer to this. So if you were leaving the planet, if you were transitioning, um, uh, moving on, but you could leave one, one bit of wisdom or knowledge or a mantra with humanity. That you feel would um, allow for a a greater expression of ease and and livelihood in their life, something that they could understand. what would you what would you give to them?
1: That intimacy is created when you share to be known and listen to know, if you share to understand and listen to agree or reach agreement, you can build skyscrapers but you can't build intimacy.
0: Excellent, excellent, profound, Alex. Same question, brother.
2: Hmm. Well, I think there's, the first thing that popped into my head is just sharing joy. Um, Finding the best way to share joy for you to give to the world um, is something that's very important. And I think also something that's been an ongoing journey for me is um, just my relationship with belonging. Um, I'm adopted from South Korea and I've been on this journey my whole life and just kind of just sharing sharing that like you belong and just like holding on to that. Um, just, it just for me, at least it alleviates a lot of pressure that I felt of feeling not like I belong. Yeah. It's like, I belong to myself. I belong to who I am and having and maintaining that connection. That's that really creates a sense of self that, um, I didn't previously have language for.
0: Hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. It's a, it's a big thing to come to realize. And be reminded of you know that we do all belong and that we all we all are one race in it together you know um but you guys this has been awesome super excited to share this conversation with everyone and i'm grateful for your time i know i took up a lot of it um i it's a fascinating story guys i i really i can see why it's being sought after by Hollywood executives, I know Alex has been stalked, <laughs> uh, even during COVID, which is crazy. But you guys rock, man. Ted, Alex, thank you so much for for coming on and talking to me and, and sharing all this stuff. Uh, it's been it's been real. Uh, we're going to talk again, I think.
1: Cool. Thank you very so much. Bro. Really appreciate the space you hold, and um, it's been really nice spending time with you.
0: Thanks, brother. Appreciate it, man. Yeah. Alex, I'm gonna get the name of that horse place. (laughs) Okay. Awesome guys. Thank you so much again. Appreciate it. You guys have a great day. And um and we'll be in touch for sure.
1: Take care, everybody.